You are listening to the Fire and Lunch podcast. As a reminder to those listeners wishing to remain unspoiled for the books, run. This is an all-spoiler podcast. All published books and novellas are fair game. Thanks. And who are you, the proud face said that I must eat this pie? This podcast is brought to you by the Hard Home Hotel and Spa. Enjoy a relaxing stay in our rustic lodge with a view of the surrounding mountains and the shivering sea. Free folk only, no crows allowed. Note when the White Walkers come, we only have lifeboats enough for half. Stay at your own risk. Hello, we are Fire and Lunch. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 36, Hard Home. I'm Megan. I'm Katie. And I'm Jess. So this week, we actually have a lot of stuff to talk about in our Getting to Know Us section. So we'll go over that, and then we'll discuss Hard Home. So this this may be a long one, guys. I don't know. <laughs> I hope you're comfortable. I hope everyone's ready for a really homogeneously opinionated <laughs> hey probably true but we don't know yet we'll see yeah i may have hated the episode so really I, well, <laughs> yeah <laughs> for some reason i really doubt that but so we'll go in chronological order for the getting to know us first i wanted to ask katie if there is any news or anything interesting out of BookCon, since i know she went there this past weekend at the javits center um, I did get a confirmation, which we probably, I think they already put out a press release on this, but I did get one of the Random House people saying, oh, hey, you should look out for this, like the collection of the Dunkin' Egg books coming out that's coming out in like, I think October or something. And I was like, that was mildly exciting. Oh, that is exciting. <laughs> and by mildly, I'm like, oh, this, this is, this is, uh, related to stuff I like. Uh, but mostly BookCon was, um, very young adult heavy, which is great. A lot of really good books coming out. And, um, they were giving, <laughs> the woman was like, oh, we have a Game of Thrones giveaway. I'm like, oh yeah, what is it? She goes, it's all five books. And I said, yeah, I've already read that several times. I own like everything. What else you got for me? She says, oh, so there's all five books here. <laughs> AKA George read the book. Yeah. Well. But was the other stuff at least good with the YA authors? The YA, the YA offers are, offers great. The YA authors are great. Um, I ended up seeing Judy Bloom and R.L. Stein in their panels. Oh my God, your inner teeny bopper must. My twelve-year-old self was just beside herself. She right now thinks that I'm a very cool adult. Um, but R.L. Stein was hysterical. He's like that uncle, that awkward uncle who says everything wrong. <laughs> but he's so sweet with it that you're just like, oh, it's okay. It's all right, sir. I mean, like, he was spoiling this movie. He, he was promoting his movie wherein Jack Black plays R.L. Stein and um, all the favorite monsters from Goosebumps comes to life. And it looks really cute. I saw a clip. But he's spoiling the movie left and right, making highly inappropriate jokes, but all the while <laughs> with it being so complimentary to these two actors and, and very sweet and loving towards everyone and really having enjoyed the experience. But it was just ridiculous to see. And he just was horrid to his face. <laughs> he said one woman came up to him and he goes, and she had the ugliest tattoos. Just Aww. hideous. And he just kept harping on how hideous her tattoos were. And the punchline of his whole story was, and she told me that I was her biggest influence. <laughs> That's funny. Were you at the? He did a panel at New York Comic Con. Were you? Oh, I was. He did, but I missed it. I was anybody else at it, but he said like the first thing people say to me sometimes is I get this a lot is I thought you were dead. What? 
I'm gonna be honest. Like I was one of those people. I was like, "Are all signs alive?" <laughs> oh my god! Well, apparently his son is like our age, and has never read one of his books, but would routinely pay his friends to uh, be put into the next Goosebump novel. Yeah, he's very self-deprecating. That's what I, re- yeah. I remember from his panel. Yeah, he's really obviously a really nice guy. Highly entertaining to watch, just because. Of his general awkwardness. <laughs> and the movie looked good, well, so cool. everyone should go see it. Yay. Yesterday, Jess and I had a very testament of youth-centric day. It was very exciting and very sad. But part of it was that we went to go see Kit and James Kent talk at AOL Build. And we're going to have a post up on the blog, so we won't go into it too much. But, Jess, do you have any like brief thoughts about the we Build event? We need to get it organized so that like the people who actually have <laughs> tickets can get a seat it was essentially just like my friend was with us my coworker erica she described it as like urban outfitters with like computers around because that's like how the space looks and it was just a bunch of like aol employees just like hanging out like on their lunch break or not really their lunch break because they all brought their laptops to like sit with them and do their work during these q a's and the funniest one we were gonna t- we're gonna talk about it in the blog post is after Bryce Dallas Howard uh, had her panel, you slowly start to see all these females in their twenties and thirties with their MacBooks slowly converge <laughs> onto this small space. Not at all like not obvious about what they were doing. <laughs> like, I know why you all are no, here. No, here's the test: did did they all check their makeup right before he came out? Um, uh, no, but I should have because when I went to the bathroom. <laughs> Oh my god, like frizz city up here. I was just like, and then we were like right across because we were standing right across from where James and Kit were. I'm like, oh god, I hope he's not looking in my direction right now. And then somebody in front of us asked a question. I'm like, why would you do that? We don't need to draw attention to this. <laughs> well, the reason I bring it up is because Megan and I, when we went to see um, Romeo and Juliet with uh, Orlando Bloom as Romeo, we did stage door afterwards, and I swear to God, like, everybody who went to wait for him, like, they all ran over, and it was all women in their late 20s, early 30s, or to mid-30s, and every single one of them would get to their spot, they would turn their backs to the entranceway, whip out their lipstick, and touch up. Just make sure everything yeah, looked good before turning back around. My coworker was saying that she's like, the kids are always like, her. you always look so good, miss. She's like, you never know when there's going to be a photo opportunity. <laughs> I'm like, that's very true. So she gave me hairspray afterwards. I'm like, thank you. Because this is just like, just from like, just being out in public. I don't want to look like that crazy lady. Kid's hair, on the other hand, very nice. Well, you should ask him what yeah. product he's, he's using. Because he 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 have very similar hair. Similar. I don't believe it. Well, after that event, we went to go see Testament of Youth at an advanced screening. And they had a Q&A with James Kent. And that was also very cool. And we'll do a blog post for that, too. But just some initial thoughts. The movie is great. People should go see it. If you're in the U.S., it comes out this Friday. So definitely go see it and support, like, a really well-done movie. And, Jess, do you have any thoughts to add to that? Yeah, see, because it's the war from the female perspective, you know. Mm -hmm. And what I find interesting is that, um, you know, Vera Britton, like George, they're they're not so much, like, she's a pacifist, but, like, Ward, what did you say after the screening, Megan? Like, you know, just think about it, like, the human consequences of war. Yeah, so James Kent was very clear at the AOL event and then also at the Q&A we were at that it 
it's not an anti-war film, but it's just putting forward the notion that you need to think about the consequences before going to war. And I think that's important because I think a lot of people might have had that like misconception that it was anti-war. That's what they wanted it to be. So they were kind of disappointed that the movie wasn't didn't have more of a stance on that issue. But no, the movie is more about saying, think about it because the consequences could be really horrible. Can we move on to something not so horrible? Because I had a lot of tears from that. <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, those, those are sad. Yeah, tears that's really and a lot rough. Of tears of joy. <laughs> um, right? Oh wait, yeah, over the over episode. The episode. <laughs> <laughs> Megan's like, where, where is your heart? Oh, okay. Because I was like, whoa, Jess. No, because there are lots of uh, sad tears. But yes, let's move on to the episode, which is a happier conversation. And yeah, so we will start with giving the fray pie. I was just going to start by going over what the other girls who aren't on the call gave the episode, and then I'll kick it off to you guys, mostly because I cannot wait to read what Lauren's comment was about the episode. (laughs) Is that Lauren? Yeah, in the document. I thought there was Jess. I was like, oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. So Lauren's comment was, if there is a pie I can take behind the dumpster and get pregnant, that's the pie I want. I love the shit out of this episode. (laughs) So I think this is a Rhaegar then for her? Yeah. That's my guess. At least a Rhaegar. At least. At least a Rhaegar. It could be a Rhaegar a la mode. No, honestly, <laughs> this is this is Lauren. So this is a Jamie a la mode. Yeah. <laughs> With some Brienne on top. With a little Brienne on top. That's how good she thought this episode yeah. was. So that was Lauren's comment. And then Jenny said, I think I'll give this one a Rhaegar with some Valyrian steel to cut the pie. Ooh, nice. that's, that is Brienne serious. Valyrian steel. Yeah. Nice. And then Rachel gave it a Jared. Wait, I actually now I'm a Jared. I was like, oh my god, I got the name wrong on the prey pie. Yes, Rachel gave it a Jared. She said, yeah, because her her issue said it wasn't bad. No one got raped. It wasn't amazing. She really liked the tearing in and Danny's stuff, chilling over wine, and she uh, definitely liked the Cersei stuff and Lena Hetty's uh, performance. But she's upset that the letter uh, to Jamie wasn't in it. But that might come later. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about it later, but I think that, I think the door is still open. So Katie, what did you think? Um, I'm just going to read what I wrote here. (laughs) I gave it a Rhaegar a la mode with hot fudge and a goddamn cherry on top. And this was all written, by the way, like right after I saw the episode. (laughs) So this is, this is like true story. And then I followed up with holy shit balls, you guys. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff. Oh, I I loved it. Come on. Like, I gave it a Rhaegar. It's up there with Kiss by Fire and a Golden Crown for, like, favorite Game of Thrones episodes. You know, definitely the best episode of season five, but maybe one of the best episodes in all five seasons. Like from Yeah, I was going to say this might be my favorite, or at least the best overall episode. Yeah, like, from start mm-hmm. to finish. I mean, there's some minor, like, issues I have with it, but overall, like, and weirdly, it's so off book you know what i mean it's so like so much of it is not in the books you know but it was i really loved it regardless of that well i mean it's off book but none of it felt out of the realm of the books do you know what i mean it's just kind of wherever the books were going you're watching this stuff now and you're like oh of course it's gonna happen you know Mm -hmm. like true to the spirit completely no i loved it i love that they're actually like following the storylines that have been set up in the books not just in their own show so as this will surprise no one, but I I think I'm going to go with what Jenny said. I'll give it a Rhaegar with some Valyrian steel to cut the pie. Nice. I just love that phrase. Um, it's definitely up there for me in terms of favorite episodes of the 
whole show. It's probably my favorite of the season so far, but in terms of the whole show, I can't decide because I really love Baylor and I really love Watchers on the Wall. So it's actually, I, I don't know, I, it have to sit with me a bit longer before I could decide where it fits with those two, other two episodes. But it was definitely one of my, my faves. So let's head on over to our awards section of the podcast. Um, so for episode MVP, who would you guys give it to? Uh, Carsey. Uh, sorry. Who we may also refer to as not Val. Just oh, yeah, not Val. So Wildling <laughs> Chieftainess, um, for, you know, she did so much with so little, like 20 minutes of screen time, and there's, like, millions of internet memes, like, introduced, like, in one, like, in one episode, and, like, I want her back, like, everybody loved her, and I feel that's a testament to, um, Brigitte's, how do you pronounce her name? Brigitte Yort. Brigitte Sorensen? Yeah, you could say it. <laughs> she's, <laughs> you know, she's, like, super, super talented. And I just feel like she did so much with in so little time, screen time, and that just shows you don't really need a lot of screen time or that many episodes to do a lot of great things. I, yeah. I mean, honestly, we we actually as a group yeah. saw well, her in um, the Tom Hiddleston National Theater uh, production of Coriolanus, and she played Coriolanus's wife in this, whose name escapes me. And it was it was one of those things where you're watching her, and the part in and of itself didn't have a lot to it but you could tell just from her performance that she is a great actress even though she didn't have a lot to do so even like with this she didn't have much but she was brilliant in it i just lo- i'm so sad that she died i was like no you can't when she started like looking at her children i'm like no no that's a lingering like goodbye look and that's not okay because she can't die yet we just got her this is ridiculous so the day the episode aired jenny and i actually went to go see pitch perfect 2 <laughs> i did not realize she was in that movie before going to see it but then i saw it and i was like oh today is you know it's, an, it's a day all about her because then you know we got to see her in game of thrones and she's great in pitch perfect 2 as well which is a completely different kind of you know different tone like different role like different everything but she was great in that too so i yeah she she was great she's i i have a hard time picking between her or one one just because you gotta love one one and just like stomping on the whites and just like hitting them with like the well, law. I love that he I just, just like he casually was. cussed out um, Dolores Ed in his own language. You're just oh, like, yeah, that too. the fuck are you looking at? I'm like, yes, one one, yeah. Yeah, just happy they have the old tongue finally on the show. Yeah, um, I had a five way tie <laughs> between Carsey and not Val. <laughs> Tormund, one one, and the cranky Fen, who was an asshole, but that ended up okay. And John, it's just the whole group yeah. in the battle, the leaders who I don't care if they got along, I don't care whatever. They all brought it. They all did what they had to do, and they worked together. Yeah, basically everyone at Hard Home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to give the award to because I would basically shit my pants if I were in that same situation. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, bravo to all the free folk there. And the Night's Watch, you know. Well, I don't know if you would, they Megan. it out. No, well, I, I would totally I not just, be able to yeah, like when, You know, unfortunately, we, <laughs> you live in the city, you kind of know what happens when you get into a group crisis. And, you know, people kind of band together. And I think personally that you would do very well. I think you would honor yourself. That's very kind. I would get on that Um, boat with the kids. We have not experienced zombies yet. (laughs) Another award that I think is really appropriate for this episode is the Ned Stark Award. One of our favorites. (laughs) Who did you guys give it to for this episode? I mean, I agree. I don't. I know 
Jess, you mentioned Ramsey. I'm giving it to Ramsey. Ruth is going on this whole rant about how we have enough food for six months for a siege, and Ramsey, you know, trying to prove himself, you know, that he's not like a bastard, that he's like a true born son. It's like, Dad, I'll ride out with 20 good men into like this freaking blizzard <laughs> to prove my worth to you, to prove that I'm a real boy. Like, I'm a real boy. No, but that's not Ned Stark. That's not for anybody's, like, it's for his own honor, his honor. but it's a perversion of it. Like, that's more of a Theon Greyjoy no, award. No. Because John does similar things, too. Like, trying to do things to prove things to, like, Ned. Yeah, but not now. Like, you, with the Ned Stark award is more like, hi, I'm going to do the honorable thing, even though it's really dumb. To House, to house Bolton. No, it's the not. To House thing. Bolton, they're like, oh, shit, we're going to survive. Yeah. <laughs> no, but to House Bolton. <laughs> I mean, I can see it both ways. Stannis and, like, get rid of this, like, you know, nuisance, like, that's beyond, you know, coming in and attacking you. Well, no, because honestly... We, as people who support Stannis, and, like, obviously there's that bias, but from his perspective, that No, honestly, I think that Ramsey, uh, Bruce is just kind of like, it's really no loss if you die, but if you can pull this off, it's a win for us. So I don't really think better of you on this one until you actually come back successful. So, like, go ahead and do... And he might die, which is... It's a senseless... Right, that's why he's like, I don't care. This is not honorable. This is stupid. But it can't hurt, so go ahead. (laughs) I mean, I can see it both ways. Um, my initial thought was John, just because, I mean, I love you, John. But, you know, you just killed a White Walker. You're, like, coughing blood, and you're obviously in pain. And yet you're still thinking about the dragon glass when there's a bunch of dead things <laughs> like coming Dollar towards you. Like, We're going to die. <laughs> well, like, Let's when he <laughs> turned around, like, all, he just had to jump in that boat. He was, like, right there. All he had to do was jump in. And people were like, dude, you're oh, yeah, the leader. Yeah. You need to make sure you survive so the rest of us have a chance. And John's like, no, I'm going to save everyone. Everybody follow me. And I'm like, oh, you fucking gallant idiot. <laughs> but that's why we love him. But yeah, oh, John. Um, we have to give an honorable mention to Jorah because this was mentioned by Rachel and Jenny. I disagree with this because I don't think Jorah is being honorable when he's saying, oh, I'll go let myself get killed and spread the plague because he loves Danny. But, I, I mean, maybe I can see the argument that, you know. Nope. You could, he's a selfish like, asshole at this point. not being smart. He's, like, super, I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. he's super creepy. Like, this is, like, stalker territory. <laughs> he's literally doing nothing <laughs> to help her. Is. Nothing. Yeah. It's not going to be helpful for him to keep yeah. showing up when she's trying to save face and she's exiled him. And she keeps doing him a favor. By letting him live, and he's throwing it in her face, he is sick and highly contagious, so he's going to come back to be with her and then infect everyone so she's left, like, to die. Yeah, that's basically what I was thinking, but, I, but you know what? We'll let it be said that there are some in our group that would have given it to Do you Jorah know what Jorah reminds me of in all of this? Like, when a girl, like, tells a guy no a bunch of times, and then she ends up having to be, like, an asshole to, like, push yeah. him away? You know, you get, like, yeah. take the hint, dude. That, like, I'm not interested. That's what he reminds me of. Yeah. She's just not yeah. that into you. <laughs> Wasn't Wait, that a movie like... with Nikolai? Uh, no. He... <laughs> was he in that? That movie is horrible. It was, he's just not that into you. But <laughs> Oh, my God. I don't like that movie. But, um, okay. So, we'll just give a brief shout out to some Stark mentions in this episode that Bran and Rickon got name dropped. Yay. Woo. So they may not be actually on screen, but they're still getting mentioned. And Sansa, you know, called them her family. So that was great. Moving on to, so the favorite fan shout out. 
Um, I mine was Ramsey saying it's going to be a feast for crows. <laughs> oh, hey. Like, yes, the book title. <laughs> hey, I see what you did there. I mean, it, that was a good one. Katie, uh, do you have a different one or another one? I have another one. Um, the cat that goes in like goes past Aria in her scene, like Cat of the Canals. I thought that yeah. was pretty cool. I thought that was a fan shot. I thought that out. was a yeah. nice touch. Yeah, I was gonna say the idea that they that I mean the fact that they even used one one as oh, the name yeah. of the giant. Like yeah, thanks, 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 Dan. Yeah, you know what? I'll do that. That that's gonna be mine because honestly, like I did not at at some point as soon as he was called one one on screen, I did not care about anybody else. I was like, oh my god, it's one one. You're amazing. (laughs) I need to be eating a salad in every scene. Please do not die yet. (laughs) I know. I was actually really worried that he was gonna die somehow. So when he started just walking into the water, I was like, thank God. So totally. I was, especially when they killed off Carsey, I was like, no, she's amazing. You have to give me somebody. And there's some other ones that I feel like we should point out just because I think they were also hilarious. So it's really hard to pick. But I really loved when <laughs> Tyrion said, House Targaryen is gone. Not a single person who shares your blood is alive to support you. Tyrion, try again. I don't think that's right. But now, was this a, was you this don't a know fan that shout out to Tyrion being a Targaryen or was it like a John reference? Both. I take it as a John reference because I don't believe in. Yeah, I refuse to believe that. But you can think of it either way. I think, but I prefer to think of it as R plus L equals J. And he also must have gone and note that uh, Mr. Eamon died. (laughs) (laughs) He has good cell service. Or he, or I mean, yeah, he did meet him, so he did know about that. Yeah, but how would he have found out? Um, (laughs) I know. Well, I guess we just have to overlook it, guys. Still a funny comment, though. Um, and then I also really liked when Sam said, I've been worrying about John for years. He always comes back. Just because I was like, is this D&D's way of telling us that he won't be dead at the end of the season? Girl, Maybe. no. <laughs> no, wait. He's not. You're the one that he's was He's not dead. I mean, he's but, dead, like, but he's probably going to be really. He, he's going to be mostly dead. Yeah, so not dead dead. He's still going to come back. He's not going to be all dead. I mean, you may be able to get like a little twoove out of his mouth or something, but he's going to be mostly <laughs> <What>? dead. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I definitely like that fan shout out. And I'm just going to like, it's. I, I'm really sad that this, this idiot's taking, he's not an idiot, that Martin's taking so long to write the books, you know, because I would like to find out from the novels, yeah. not the TV show. Well... I know, yeah. Whenever I think about it, I'm like, you know, in two episodes, he's going to die. In less than a year, we're going to know basically how he's not dead. And that's kind of sad when we think that I'm sure George would have much rather that we found out through the Yeah, I mean, like, I came to the show, I came to the books because of the show. I saw, like, three episodes, and then I couldn't take it anymore, and I read the entire series thus far. So for me, I, you know everything kind of happened at the same time i'm ready to get new details but for people who've been reading these books for like 20 years this sucks (laughs) you put a lot of time and effort into it and you become a part of this world the the literary world and then to have that taken away from you from a tv show like that sucks as much as it is for him it's his characters and he's missing out on that chance to do the reveal too yeah like we'll get to in a bit but even the part you know because we have Danny and Tyrion actually having a conversation and it's like oh the show gets to do this before George does and I'm sure that's I don't want to have a situation where I'm like the show did it better you know yeah 
I don't want to have a situation. Equal or or worse. Yeah. So our other award that we tend to give each week, too, is also favorite one-liner. So did you ladies have a favorite? What was it? It was the the discussion at at Hard Home. It was like their little council meeting, and they were all trying to figure out if they were going to all become allies with John. And the then goes, my ancestors would roll in their graves if I ever broke bread with a crow. And Carsey goes, so would mine, but fuck them, they're dead. I love that line. Yeah, that I was loved good. her in that, that scene. Was really good. <laughs> Jess, did you? Oh, have one? yeah. So they were, he was talking about um, they were talking about Mance Raider, and one of the wildlings. I'm sorry, Free Folk was like, "Where's Mance?" And he's and I think it was John that said he died. And they're like, "How did he die?" He's like, "I put an arrow through his heart." <laughs> like all this uproar. <laughs> like John. Oh, John. Context like is John. good. A little self-preservation, John. <laughs> or just, you know, explain a bit more. I like how Tormund had to explain it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that was a good thing, actually, that Tormund did it. But, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. he wasn't counting on <laughs> Tormund. God, he was just going to let it go. <laughs> I know. Oh, John, we love you. Um, I really liked what <laughs> Danny told Tyrion, while well, you can still speak in complete sentences. <laughs> When she pulled away the wine, I thought that was a nice touch and shows that even though she didn't know him all that long, she knew enough. She got like enough from him to know that, yeah, you know, you you got to keep the wine away. Sometimes. Well, it's like she's observant and she's intelligent and she's really, with that line, you kind of showed she's an equal to him. Yeah. So I thought that was very good. Um, I also, I did forget about this until Rachel pointed it out in our, in the document we have. But the part where uh, Tyrion mentioned that Varys was the only person in the world that he could trust. <laughs> like, I, yeah, it was a little funny hearing it because you're just like, I would never really think Varys and trust would be in the same <laughs> sentence. But, okay, Tyrion. That's, if you thought like, honestly, think. I would think that he would know better not to trust him. No, yeah. I, but I like what followed. He's like, Varys and my brother. She's like, the one that killed my dad. He's like, yep, that one. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, that was good, too. I did like that part. Well, and I also, I did like when he said, I could see why you would think so. It's what your father would have done. Kind of be like, ooh, yeah, your dad was not a nice guy. He killed a lot of people. And, of course, Danny replied basically with a similar retort. So just, that was good. We'll talk about them in a bit. Um, For our, I'm trying to think which award I want to go to next. Um, So... There, there was a lot of music in this, and similar, like kind of newish music, I guess, in this episode. But so, did either of you have a favorite Ramin moment? Um, the House of Black and White, I guess, theme. It's very ominous and like creepy. It's yeah, like a horror movie theme. It is. And I like it. I really liked how they did the sound during the whole hard home stuff, and some of it wasn't necessarily, like, you know, Ramin doing compositions, but just how they used the music with, you know the sound of the battle going on, but then also cutting to silence when it was also necessary. Yeah, I was going to say the the John scene with the other, when he's outside, how you kind of hear, like, voices in the distance, and all you hear is, like, the wind howling. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like John is, like, his, like, voice is just slowed down, and everything sort of... It's not the, the scene that's slowed down, like, the imagery, but, like, the sound is, in a way. Yeah. Like, the stillness. Yeah. I re- I really like that. Yeah, I thought they just did a great job. I think of building the tension by using the sound, the music, and then silence all together, and it 
held throughout that entire time period. And even when the credits started and it was silent for a while, I just thought that was just really, really good. So for Grayscale Watch, we kind of talked about Jorah a while ago, so I won't drag this on. But he's still around. He still has it. And still being weird. It's not spreading. I mean, I, don't, I, I yeah, I don't know that. I don't understand his plan so much. I mean, if I were him, I'd want to get as far away as possible from the woman I loved. But apparently that's not how Jorah is thinking. So <laughs> we'll see. And it doesn't seem to be spreading, right? Uh, Not at the moment, no. <laughs> but it does seem super selfish of him. Yeah. He's, like, tossing coins around, like, it's, anyway, like, the, you know, he's tossing, um, like, coins around, and, like, there's not skin-to-skin contact, but there is, like, object-to-object contact, and that's in the house Shireen got grayscale, like, there were dolls. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good you point. Know? so. Yeah. He's not really being cautious. Oh, God, then everybody has it. If she can get it through her doll, then everybody has it. Well, maybe that whatever has to touch his, his arm, though, it's not just touching his hand. I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. I don't know. They haven't really explained Grayscale all that well. No, I mean, maybe she got it through the doll and it was, like, not a big exposure and that's why she survived. Yeah, maybe. So now we'll get to Ollie Watch, which, oh, we're, we're getting closer, guys. We can feel it. In this episode, our favorite steward was talking to Sam, our other favorite steward, <laughs> throwing some ideas off him. And I don't think it really worked the way that Ollie went in wanting it to um and then yeah it just i'm not sure and but my main like one thing i was thinking while watching that scene i was like sam ollie's not worried about john returning right. you totally missed ollie's concern like this whole conversation if sam wasn't so obsessed with having getting his ass kicked and then losing his virginity and having to deal with the fact that his mentor died he might have seen a little bit more clearly about what the conversation was really about because he's fairly good at picking up social cues and he was just completely distracted he was all like oh ollie's a cute kid he wouldn't ever do anything weird look at this kid's face like read his tone he is not okay with any of this and he doesn't he's not in love with john the way you are you know and i mean like you know sam has absolute faith in him ollie he's john has never earned that from ollie and no one should expect it exactly um, I just find it interesting that the advice that Sam constantly gives Ollie ends up with my favorite characters dying. Like he grit <laughs> last year. Find a weapon, Ollie. She dies. Sometimes you got what what was even the line? Like he said sometimes you gotta make like hard decisions that are not so popular or yeah. something to that effect. Oh, Sam, just shut up. Yeah. And I I mean Yeah. So from this conversation, I know, Katie, you think that Ollie's already been approached by other people. I think so. I think that, I don't know if it's going to be Thorne or somebody else, but I think that they've said to him, you're the closest to him when he's in Castle Black. Like, you are at an advantage to have something happen to him, you know? Yeah. So do you, so, or, because I guess there's a couple thoughts here. One could be that he's on his own, or he has been approached by other people. I either situation still makes me sad i (laughs) I mean i don't know that he would be brave enough because he is a very he's a kid you know and john is protecting him and i don't know that he would think that out of the box i don't think that he would be 
brave enough to really do that to kill his only source of protection unless somebody else was saying i will take care of you if you do this yeah that's true because he would he would need someone to run to so he'd have to know that there were people that would have his back basically yeah oh my god this is gonna be so upsetting when it happens (laughs) i don't want to think about it let's move on to other things so there were some introductions and goodbyes all the same episode. I know, all in the same episode. But so we'll go through these briefly and then we'll talk about the episode. But of course we were introduced, as we mentioned, to Not Val, also known as Carsey. Um, and then we also had to say goodbye to her. Oh, which was very sad. <laughs> well we didn't not really because uh she's she's, you know, resurrected as a white. Unless she is yeah, a that's cool, not really like moral spouting, cussing white who is actually on their side. I don't care. Yeah. It's still not her. So we also got introduced introduced to one one as we mentioned, and we got to say goodbye to Rattleshirt. Can't say I'm gonna miss him. Uh, Rachel uh, putting the dog like that was a oh hey we forgot to kill this guy before scene, and I actually agree with her. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they actually just wanted a chance to bridge the free folk group, so it would have been a little weird if. There was no one we recognized there. I don't know. I kind of liked that they at least had someone the audience would recognize so they could be like, oh, hey. And then, I don't know. But I really did actually love that scene just because Tormund's awesome. And also it showed that the free folk, they follow strength. And that's what's mentioned in the books repeatedly. It's not about, you know, your name or, you know, anything, your family or anything else. It's about how strong you are. So they listened to Tormund once he, like, killed Rattleshirt, which was totes fine with me. <laughs> Um, and and Jess had wrote that we were introduced to a Charles Dance White Walker lookalike. So he does look like Charles Dance. He does. That was you know. So this is so Lannister versus Stark, the, the scene we've always wanted. Basically. <laughs> and of course, we were introduced to Hard Home, and it looks like we're leaving Hard Home. So <laughs> nice to see a Hard Home for one episode. I thought we'd see more of you, but hey, that's fine too. And I just really wanted to note that Arya finally got a really nice, clean outfit, you know, that was a dress, and she got a new hairstyle, and we know Maisie was really excited about this, so I feel like it's something we just Okay, can I, can I be real? Can I be honest? Yeah. I fucking hate sure. her hair. Oh, I like it. No. Well, it's not her hair. Remember, it's the, the, car- the girl she Okay, but killed. the girl she is is a very pretty girl, and I feel like the hair is just not... I actually like the hair. Nope. Yeah, I kind of like. She looks it. like. Well, you know what? It's evoking a cat. Like her, her hair is in buns at the top of her head, like their cat ears. Like, just call her cat of the canals. Well, yeah, we're, that's that's part of nerd rage. But uh, <laughs> we'll get to that after we talk about stuff we like. So <laughs> let's talk about our Rhaegar Alamone moments, and we'll just kick it off with Hard Home, since I know that this was a section of the show that we all really did like. And I think it should be noted, it was a really lengthy section of the show, like basically half an hour of, you know, free folk and Night's Watch goodness, which was great. Um, And one thing that I actually meant to mention earlier when we were talking about, not Val, but something I thought that was really interesting that came out in one of the articles that came out after the show aired was that that role was originally written as a man, but then they decided to... As they were, like, I guess going through the process of, you know, getting ready to cast and, like, doing pre-production, they changed it to a woman. So, I think that's great. It would have been really disappointing if it were a man, I think, just because it was nice to actually see, you know, the female free folks, which we haven't seen that many. I mean, we had Egret, but other than that, they haven't 
really been a presence on the show, so I really liked that they ended up being a woman. Yeah, and I think it just adds more to it. There's so many, like you said, dudes around that it kind of breaks up the monotony a bit, kind of like he grit did. It's nice to see more women, especially women in charge and women in power. That's another thing to note about her. She's like on the elders council. So her voice is respected and her opinion matters amongst the men and it's not questioned and it's not at all unusual for her to be there. Same thing mm-hmm. with the giants too. You know, it's just like a, they're, I don't know, just, I freaking love the free folk. <laughs> just for yeah. that. Just their, their whole like lifestyle and their whole, just a whole world. Yeah. And th- we should note, there were a lot of women in the background, too, at mm-hmm. Hard Home. So that was also really refreshing. In the battle, yeah. Yeah. So, guys, what else do you want to mention about Hard Home that we haven't already mentioned? Oh, <laughs> this is actually a book <laughs> shout-out. I should have thought of it. Someone made a joke. He's like, yeah, and there are stories about, like, big spiders as big as horses. Oh, the yeah. ice spiders. Ice spiders. The ice spiders as big as hounds. And then... And someone was like, after what we've seen, you don't believe that either? Yes, good. We're finally getting all of the mythology. We're getting, like, all of this into the show. And they're they're yeah. feeling better about doing that now, which I like. Um, I really like how John got emotional when they were talking. The free folk were talking about their dead, and he got emotional about his. Because he kind of is so internal about his feelings and all the losses that he's, you know, had to deal with over the years. Like Ned and Rob and Egret. So it was nice mm-hmm. for him to say, listen, like... I've lost people too. I haven't forgotten my dead. And then he also mentioned like all his dead brothers. I really, yeah. I really like that yeah. moment. Like he, he, you know, his performance in that, I guess that scene in particular, I thought that was a very strong moment. Well, his performance this whole time is, was just solid. You know, even yeah. his face at the end of the battle, he, just beautiful face acting there. He really was very expressive and it was lovely to see because for so long, John has just been kind of a one expression guy. And he's actually getting to be a whole person. He's getting to be a really developed character. He's really stepping up, and I love seeing it. Yeah, I was also going to point out that I really liked how they did the scene at the end and how Kit, like, acted that scene just because it was really powerful. Everyone on the boat, like, even when you look at, um, like, Tormund's face during that scene, too, is also really rough to watch as they're watching the new army of the undead, like, rise. Um, that was really well done and not to take away from the seriousness of that but i also feel like guys we need to point out this is the first episode where john gets no completely the first one and his first swear word is like the f-bomb i appreciate that if you're gonna do it just start off (laughs) i want to know how many variations of the word fuck were in like that that 20 minute scene like between even like in, in different languages too oh i'm sorry can i just go back to this scene like on the boat uh, what I wanted to say real quick is like the hopelessness, like on all their oh, faces, yeah. like how on earth are we gonna like survive this? Like expressions on all their faces, like this, because this is the first time that, you know, Tyrion yeah. won and, and Blackwater, John won at the wall in the battle of Castle Black. They lost. That's different for Thrones too. And it's really sad yeah. to see like, you know, the hero losing yeah. and like with his fleeing yeah. with his tail between his legs and like this feeling of like hopelessness to the scene and like the stillness at the end too. I really like yeah. as well. That's very Not true. even the hero just losing like Carsey's scene um, where she's all set to defend herself against anybody. Right. Yeah. And then she turns and it's all children. And they, yeah. they did. It was like, it was done because they knew she would not fight. And they were in different stages of decay. So perhaps like the ones who are, you know, she may have known some of them. Yeah. yeah. That's true too. This kind of gets to like, we know that, so this whole 
sequence doesn't happen in the books. I mean, we know there's stuff in Hard Home, and this might get me yelled at by book purists, but I think there are some things this show is doing better than the books can do, or they're doing things the books can't do in a way because of the way George structures the books. But I'm actually really glad that they went to Hard Home because, yeah, in the books we hear about it and we know... So, I mean, at least I think some book fans understand the gravity of the situation that's coming with the White Walkers. But even with book fans, some of them don't get it. They still, like, think the stuff that goes on in the South is super important. They're still like, John is boring. Stuff that goes on with Bran is boring. Who the fuck cares? And they care so much about that fucking Iron Throne. And it's like, they just don't get it, even with the way George has written it. So I actually think it was really important that the show went to Hardome and showed, like, the heroes losing and, like, what can happen if the White Walkers take over. Because showing is much better than telling. And, yeah, they could have done John's storyline from A Dance with Dragons, but they would have been all telling. And it would have been all stuff John was getting in notes, like from people saying dead things in the water or all this terrible stuff's happening. So I think it was really important that the show did this because... There were still a lot of show and book fans that don't get it. And it's like, after, at this point, if a person still doesn't understand that the true like conflict is the stuff going on in the North and they don't understand the importance of the North, then you're never going to get it through to them. And they should just stop watching the show at this point. No, it's a good, it's a good point, Megan. And I actually had people who don't read the books, only watch the show for the first time saying, oh... So, like, everybody in the North is going to die, right? I mean, they finally are are focusing on that. Well, I think the issue was at the end of, was it season, was it two or three with the, um, when Sam confronts the other, when he sees their army, army of the dead, you know, and then the next, we were all excited for season three, they're going to open with, like, this big battle, and that didn't happen. So I feel like they kind of owed it to fans in a lot of ways, like, to show it, because Mm -hmm. that was, like, a big scene in the books and a storm of swords right at the beginning of it so to like not show that that was like a big disappointment for, you know, for a lot of fans myself included so it was nice that they you know like you said are not telling but showing but also it is kind of book accurate because john does contemplate going to hard home the only reason why he doesn't initially is because he thought of um what had happened to mormont north of the wall and he never came back so he was worried about that but i feel like I think it's important that you have people that you know and recognize there too. Yeah. Well, at the and same time. He really was going to go to Hard Home if the Pink mm-hmm. Flutter hadn't arrived. Yeah. That was also the plan. Like, he saw, he's like, I also sent these men out to die and I need to go rescue them. I made this mess and I have to fix it. But yeah, so it's still within the books that he went. But I'm just glad the show actually went there and took him there. Like, they're moving stuff along faster. And we'll get to this with Danny, Story, and Marine. But like, you know, they're just moving the plot much faster than George is doing in the books. And so I think they're doing a great job of just getting through the story because some people just don't have the patience to deal with things that drag on forever. Well, the thing is, it is, I mean, this is for me the biggest area in the episode that does show the show is moving forward and it's fantastic. I mean, even the reveal that Valyrian Steel kills White Walkers. We have the theories it's implied, but it's never explicitly said Mm -hmm. in the books. So now you have another payoff of like, oh, we finally get this here. Or the fact that John is even killing a White Walker. In the books, John hasn't even seen a White Walker yet. But the show hadn't seen a White Walker in season two, and now he's killed one. And I actually think this is smart for a show audience, because there's only so long a show audience could, you can string them along before you like give them payoff. No, and the thing is, it's... 
it's season five. You know, it they only have two seasons. They they have to get it done. They need to show this. They can't dither anymore. And I'm gonna be honest, like this is an issue I have with Martin that we're I had conversations with my coworkers like, so how is how are the White Walkers and the others, you know, different in the books? And I said, to be honest, like I gave him like four bullet points about like what they are in the books and that's it. That's all we have on them. And that's really annoying too and frustrating. Five books in and this is supposed to be the major threat and Martin himself hasn't really developed them that much. And, you know, so I'm glad that the show is taking the initiative and and doing stuff with them. Now, we had a discussion separately. Um, it was all of us just after the episode. We were, like, texting each other. And Rachel brought up a point wherein, for her, the White Walkers are not as scary anymore because you're starting to see organizational structures of them within this episode. Like, they have a king. Uh, they wear armor. You know, they have powers, like she was saying, oh, he's a necromancer. So they have powers that you see in many other fantasy tropes. And, like, it's something that, for her now, she can put a label on them and she can see that they have, like, goals. And they're not as terrifying as they are for her in the book. Where Because in the book we don't know as so much about them, they're, like, gods, essentially. Um, I didn't necessarily agree with her on that. <laughs> I find it more terrifying to have somebody who is not just a nameless, faceless threat of evil is somebody who clearly does have their own organizational structure and their own goals we just don't know what they are and they're clearly like diametrically opposed to us and that's terrifying because they're they're more powerful than we are i mean it's similar to how like when i talk to people about like roos and ramsey and i tell people i'd be more scared of roos and they're like why ramsey's you know ramsey and i'm like but roos is just as bad but he's like really smart he's really he hides it better, so, like, you know, so it's similar to that. I would be much more scared of a villain or, like, an evil that was more organized and had, like, structure and goals because they got their shit together. Whereas other things, you know, if you don't have your shit together, it's hard to get anything done. Right, like, I'm not going to worry about you if I know that all I have to do is blow on your deck of cards and it's going to fall yeah. over. Should we talk about how they filmed Hard Home? Like, so, earlier on when we did... um our like season five mini speculation podcast we had talked about how kit in many interviews was saying how there was one scene or sequence that he spent like 17 days shooting well now we know it was the sequence a minute, he said a minute a day <laughs> yeah q a yesterday he mentioned that yeah and he mentioned other interviews and how basically they had to do everything three times because they did it once with like green screen once with the like practical effects and then once with something else that I can't remember at the moment, but three different ways that they were shooting Oh, with nobody things. there, with nobody yeah, there. Yeah, with no, yeah. Or that's the green scheme. I don't know. There was three different ways so they could decide, you know, what kind of effects they were going to use in the final version. And that's crazy, um, first off. But <laughs> but also, I, I don't know. I really liked how they shot the whole battle sequence. It definitely wasn't as, like, clean might be the wrong word, but it, it kind of gets what I'm getting at. With, with like, Neil Marshall doing it. Yeah, like, with Blackwater and Watchers on the Wall, it was a bit more structured, I think. So I kind of thought it was appropriate that this one wasn't, because this wasn't planned. I mean, they weren't expecting this. It just Mm -hmm. happened randomly for the Free Folk, and so it should be chaos. And there's no chance they can win, so I don't understand why there would even be any. I don't know. I just really liked that it was so chaotic, because I felt it drove the point home that the shit is hitting the fan. There's, like, nothing <laughs> well, people can do. You know, and the, 
the free folk are not trained soldiers the way that anybody in the South would be. They fight on their own for their own goals and honor. And so it's messier and it's grittier and it's, you know, more dangerous. And that's kind of what this reflected as well. Yeah. And I don't know. I just like watching it. I was like, oh, my God, this is what the War for the Dawn is going to be. It's just going to be mass chaos because I don't see how it could be super structured. For a lot of people, it's just going to be chaos everywhere for a um, while, I think. So the director, uh, I have a quote from him. His name is Miguel Sapochnik, and he was saying, I'll, I'll just quote him. He did an interview with MTV this morning. He's, he said, in this instance, it struck me that this is not a battle. It's a massacre. Instead of just an action sequence, I wanted to make it a tragedy. So, and you could definitely yeah. see that. And I also like that, you know, compared to, like, Neil Marshall, like, those are both directed by him, so it kind of, like, separates him in his own way, lets him have his own, I guess, you know, or tour, like, identity as a director on the show as well. Yeah. You know, to separate him, because, you know, that's, like, a big and scary thing to take on. You have these, you know, a battle, because there have been such great battles in Game of Thrones before, so how do you do it, and how do you, like, top that in some way and make it interesting and, and do things that are different? And get people, like, interested and, and engaged. Yeah, well, he did a good job. No, I loved it. I, it's probably my, I'm going to be honest, yeah. it, it's probably my favorite, favorite battle. I wouldn't even call it a battle. Like he said, it's like a massacre. Yeah, it feels weird calling it a battle. You know, I just think there's more yeah. emotion in it. You know, there's no, like, funny quips and, like, you know what I mean? Like, compared to, like, you know, Sandra Clegane and, like, Blackwater or just... Other people in, like, even, like, Watchers on the Wall, there's some, like, funny little moments in it. And there's not none of that. It's, like, heartbreaking yeah. in a way that both of those weren't. Though, like, Watchers is heartbreaking because Egret dies and Gren and Pip die. But this is, like he said, a massacre on a different scale. Yeah. Well, I think with it, because it wasn't, like, a whole episode, like, Blackwater and Watchers on the Wall, it was basically... Because once the battle starts, it's, like, 20 minutes. Or I don't want to call it the massacre starts. It's 20 minutes of, like, nonstop just killing and awfulness going on there's no chance for levity whereas the other those were full episodes so it's you know it's weird to compare them in that way but yeah i can totally see in this sense this sequence was definitely more it was like just tension the whole way through like i meant i was getting scared i was like no john's not gonna die but i was still watching it was like oh my god i totally thought i was like oh no they're not gonna do it this way are they (laughs) I love how it builds. Like, my favorite is when, like, the Thens run back into, like, the stronghold and they close the the walls and, like, there's just, like, this stillness and this quiet before, like, they attack. Because yeah. you're there, like, wondering, like, what's going on out there? That's sort of, like, what's going on behind the wall? Like, that, that, that that's scary. And one thing that I, because I feel like we probably have to move on to the other stuff soon, but I wanted to mention the thing I really loved when John, they had John kill the White Walker. I loved the look of surprise on his face. When, well, yeah, when Longclaw and the break. White Walkers like, too, every, it seemed like everyone was like, "Holy crap, that actually didn't it didn't break." What happened? I was in a bar with uh, Jenny, the the bar we usually go to for Game of Thrones, and everybody like collectively cheered. It's like, yeah, John, that's right. Yeah, and it's like, don't lose that sword again, John. You're gonna need that. You know what? We're gonna get him a bungee, and we're just gonna tie it to his wrist. And then have the other one, like, welded to the hilt of Longclaw. So every time he needs that shit, all he has to do is a little tug. That could work. Well, I was gonna, I was just going to say, like, in the books, like, the clumsiness, like, in the last, <laughs> in, like, his last chapter, like, he couldn't, like, 
right? He just, yeah. he, his sword hand just like doesn't work. Now, is the is the king supposed to be Craster's no. kid? No, it's the Night King. It is the Night King, but like I was confused a little bit because when they first introduced the Night King, they had him, they had Craster's baby kind of, they showed him turning into a White Walker and then they showed the Night King and I didn't know if they were implying that the Night King was him. No, no, because oh, no, the, the same guy who turned Craster's baby into a, another? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's the same, it's the same oh, Okay, um, okay, that's fair. All right, then. Yeah. So wait, so this implies, and so if that's the case, then the White Walkers were first men who were corrupted, mm-hmm. which is what we speculated on our ancient history podcast. Yeah. If you guys want to go back and listen to that, listeners. Um, I do want to know, so Jenny put in like some notes from what people, because since the show hasn't actually said Night's King, so some people that write about the show, you know, come up with their own names for them. And the one that I thought was funny was, I guess, Feinberg calls him either evil Olaf or Olafful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call him Olafful from now on. So that's kind of funny. So uh, let's move on. So we're not just going to talk about Hard Home. Um, so I know that some of us also really enjoyed the Sansa and Theon scene. Um, I thought it was great. And so I, I can't remember who it was, but I was reading some person's comments about this episode and how it was very much a setup episode for some characters, Sansa being one of them. But even though it was set up, it was still really well done with the acting and the writing in those scenes. And I think this was one of them. And I'm so glad that she knows that Theon didn't kill Bran or Rickon. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, now she knows that John is Lord Commander and her two yeah. younger brothers are alive. It's a big deal. And you I mean, could tell huge. the way like Sophie did the scene, it seems that when she got that news, she was, like, thinking ahead to, like, okay, what can we do with this now? Was that hopefulness, you know, for the future? You know, she thought her whole family was dead, and she realized, oh, no, they're not. They actually, my brothers are, are not dead. They're alive. Maybe she's going to go and save them. Like, she becomes, like, this sort of, like, maternal figure for them. Um, can I just point yeah. out some internet controversy that I just want to, like, about Theon and Sansa referring to him as her... There, you know that Brandon and Rickon were your brothers. A lot of fans were like upset by that because, in their eyes, they look at Theon like as like you know he was what was he, he was not a prisoner he was a, a prisoner hostage. hostage of Ned and like he didn't he was a Greyjoy. But I'm gonna say like in a Dance of Dragons, like the one thing he says to um, what's her name, Barbary, Barbary that you know I I I wanted to be a Stark. So like I don't understand why everybody's upset like because in the books like he wanted to be a Stark and like Sansa said. She's known Bran and Rickon since they were since they were babies. Since they were born. So I, I, yeah. So I don't understand that controversy and why people are so upset by her calling, um, you know, that Theon would consider them his brothers. Yeah, like I can understand, like the Ned Theon relationship obviously is you know fraught with issues, but at least as it goes towards the younger children, especially the ones that he would have seen being born, he was basically their brother. Because to them, they wouldn't really understand the situation anyway. They were so young that they saw Theon as like a brother. And Ned didn't treat Theon like a prisoner. Like, Ned could have been a real asshole to Theon, but he wasn't. Like, trained with his kids, like, was allowed to hang out with Rob, you know? He could have been a, a real jerk about it, but he wasn't. And that's why he has such affection for the Stark family. You know, more effect because the Starks gave him more affection yeah. than, you know, Balon Greyjoy ever did. 
You know, he's, he was with them as, yeah. from such a young age that they were his surrogate family in a lot of ways. So I, I don't understand why the, the, there's a controversy there. Like, that this that they, they are his family, yeah. maybe not in name, but, like, in his heart. Yeah. I mean, and I, I mean, I get their point. I actually understand their point a little bit. But my counter-argument to them would just be, like, so even if, you know, yeah, that even if the situation isn't where, yeah, they were siblings – to Sansa, they were. And it's Sansa yelling this. So from her perspective, that's how she feels about the situation. So she would call them brothers. Like, it would be weird if she didn't that's say it true. that way. Because to her, that's how it is. You know, and it's a little bit of a dig to him about her, too. You know, she's saying, why, Theon? They were your brothers. Yeah. It's also, you know, why, Theon? I'm like your that's sister. That's true, too. Yeah. And you gave me up because why? You, you're so whipped by this guy that you think that you were doing me a favor? Speaking of Starks, Arya was also in this episode. Lots of Starks in this episode. It's Lots great. Lots of Starks. Um, yay. But, so she's still in training, but she actually gets to go outside and do things. Um, I really liked how they did her stuff for this episode. And actually for this season in general, I've really liked how they've done her storyline. Especially since last season was so disappointing because I feel like... They, for a long time, they haven't really known how to do Arya's storyline, and they've kind of missed the point on what her travels through, like, the Riverlands were really supposed to be, and I don't, yeah, I don't even want to talk about last season, but this season, I feel they're back on track, and I'm, I was actually really happy with how they did the whole thing, though, as we'll mention later, or I'll just mention it now, really, she couldn't be called Cat, but yeah, it's okay. Well, I have a little theory about that. I think that Arya and Sansa are supposed to be mirrors for each other. I think that we've talked about that in the books and in the show. And you have Arya, like her, for the past few years, has been able to just literally live wild, run wild, do everything she possibly could ever have thought about doing because she needed to survive and this is the way of doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And through doing all that, she's like, this is not working. I need to focus. And so it all kind of prepared her for right now where she is becoming more disciplined, following orders, and doing what she needed to do in order to learn how to survive that way, too. Whereas you have Sansa, who followed every rule that she ever could have had set in front of her and did everything people expected of her and was physically and emotionally abused and downtrodden and lost everything she loved. And now in this episode, and which I love because she had been so oppressed in the last couple episodes to see her now kind of acting out and, and like attacking and really going forward with force. It's like, now she's saying, I play by the rules. I'm done. And Arya is saying, I haven't played by the rules and it hasn't gotten me anywhere. Let me take this path. So I think it's kind of a cool way of comparing the two of them. Any other thoughts about Arya or Sansa before we move on? This is—it's like really not really related to the show, but like I wanted some of those clams, with or without vinegar. I know they look <laughs> the good. Best in bottles. I'm like, I—I want—I want to also try the goods. <laughs> right? Like, do you have a little lemon? A little lemon? No. <laughs> nice, nice. So I think we also unanimously enjoyed the Tyrion and Danny scenes. So anyone want to? I liked his uh, discussion on you know killing and politics are not the same thing. 
you know, like her, she immediately, yes, she immediately that was goes very good. to, well, I'll kill him or I'll kill these people. He's like, that's not a good policy, especially like his line when he's like, also killing people who are devoted to you is not going to work for you, sweetie. Oh, that was brilliant. Like she had a yeah. little beat and I'm like, yeah, you did fuck up, didn't you? And I did like how she was saying, I have the common people on my side. And he's like, how's that working out for you? <laughs> and not only that, he goes, all right, let's be kind and assume that you do. And I love that. It's like, you can't, what common people? The common people are destitute and they don't want another highborn person coming in and saying, I'll save you because you won't. Really, the common people just don't want war. And if she is about to bring more war to Westeros, no, they're not going to like her. Like, and I'm, I'm just so glad she finally has someone who's honest advising her because love Barristan. I don't know that he... I mean, he was honest about talking about Rhaegar and Aerys, I guess. But you have to be honest with this woman, with Danny, and tell her that not everyone's going to love you over there. Like, this isn't going to be automatic. And, yeah, he, she never had that. Like, Jor was, like, over there saying, oh, the common people will love you. You'll be a great queen. People will come to your side. It was like, now she needs that Well, she's intelligent, and she's grown up a lot, and she needs Tyrion to kind of explain to her, like, this is where you're wrong. And to really go over her decisions, like when he broke down the decision of whether or not to kill Jorah, he went through every step. He's like, look, here's this side. I I truly believe that he's very loyal to you. I think he's in love with you. He's not going to do anything to harm you. Did he have an option of telling you his secret? Yes, he did. Okay. Well, you definitely can't keep him by you because this is ridiculous, but don't kill him. It was was brilliantly done. And I think that's where she gained that's where he gained her respect because now she knows I can actually talk to him and he'll be straight with me. But they're also like very different people. He's definitely cynical and she, you know, she's definitely of the like prophecy destiny mentality. Yeah. You know, as a person. There's a bit of a god complex with, with Daenerys. A bit. The savior. <laughs> a savior sort of complex about her. And I like how like, not that like I don't want to say Tyrion bringing her down a few notches because that implies things, but, you know, giving her, um, you know, a reality check and having her just, like, you know, think things through and, you know, just think for a moment on on certain things. Like, you haven't thought this out? Well, had Rhaegar had a Tyrion in his life, things may have gotten a lot differently. Well, yeah, because I, yeah, because Rhaegar seems to have had a lot of yes-men around him. And no one, and also a savior. Complex. Well, yeah, and also a savior complex, and then no one to really be like, dude, we need to talk about this. And we're not hating. I'm not. We're not hating on Danny when we say that. She oh no, no. Well, no, we're just we need no, to no, establish not, that. But... But we, she follows her heart, and I yeah. think it's great that she wants to work for the common people, and that's like the sort of like grassroots politicking that she has going on. I, I like that about her, and I find it endearing about her. Like a lot of people, you know. I may not be like the biggest Danny fan, but I, I appreciate her as a character, and it's something I've always loved about her is that she genuinely cares about people. And I think Westeros does need a leader like that. Like even if she does come from like a noble family, even if she does have a bit of like a a god complex about her, I think she would be a positive force in Westeros, just not through conquering. Like when she said, "I have soldiers and armies," you know, like don't the oh. whole the dragon does not plant trees and like. That's like a yeah. whole thing at the end of a dance with dragons. I will say, like, it's really, really commendable that she listens. You know, somebody in her position does not have to listen. At some point, you kind of go like, "All right, I'm done with you." She genuinely wants to know 
what the people around her think because she wants to make sure she's doing the right thing. Yeah. And to be fair to her, she didn't have people around her that were giving her that real talk the way that Tyrion is now doing with her. So it's, in a way, it's not her fault if she would think that the common people in Westeros would come to her because that's what Jorah had told her and Barristan didn't really tell her different. And of course, Varys, like, no, no, not Varys, Viserys, you know, growing up, would tell her how much people love the Targaryens. So it's, it's you know, I, it's totally understandable. I don't fault her for it. I'm just glad she finally has someone around her that, you know, actually does understand the politics around the Iron Throne and can speak to that stuff. But um, I also just really liked his, the opening scene with him and her and when he was ta- like telling her about the story that he heard about this young woman, just because it made me think of the scene where he talks to young Griff in A Dance with Dragons. Like, it had similar elements to it where he's like talking up her accomplishments and so i liked that it kind of kept the spirit of that scene since we're not going to get a scene with young griff anything else people want to talk about for sir for oh my god for danny oh well the whole her her whole speech about like you know breaking the wheel i just find it interesting because you know her family is kind of the reason this whole idea of like an emperor it's kind of like the targaryens were conquerors I just find it interesting, like, she's, like, her family kind of started the wheel to begin with in a lot of ways. You know, breaking the wheel mentality. It's like, you're also from the nobility. Well, I mean, the thing is, too, is that the the so-called wheel, I mean, this, these noble families um, were allowed to stay on. And they were, like, the last vestiges of the Andali structure that had already been there. Now what she's saying is, fuck that, we need a reset. And she's coming in and she's going, like, I'm not doing things the way that my ancestors did it if this has to work i'm not dealing with your bullshit anymore this is my show i thought that was a really cool like aspect of it like no we're not doing this anymore it's done but it's just interesting i've always found it interesting like she's like all about the common people and she's all about quote-unquote breaking the wheel but at the end of the day she still wants to be the one in charge She's not she, super she's, conscious of her yeah, privilege. She's yeah, really she's really not. not. And this is what I, it's so, she's such, she's, she's like interesting that way. She's like, I don't even think she's aware of it or she's like oblivious to it. This, she does believe, she does believe in this concept of like divine right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's the savior thing. It's that Targaryen myth of like, we are destined to rule, which like that, that is her, her sin of pride. That's where she's kind of like, not (laughs) you can't reason with her on that she's going to rule so the only thing you can do is try to hope she does it the right way (laughs) no i mean it's just once she's now got the resources and she has the personality to kind of go forward and i think people are kind of like just trying to hold on to the ship for dear life (laughs) do you know what i mean because that's just who that that's her fatal flaw is that she can't not rule she can't not think that she's going to be the head of everything so are we done with danny just making sure. I think we're done. Okay. We're done with her. No more Danny ever. Aww. No. No, I love yeah. Danny. What is it? There's a tweet here. It's from Lauren. Oh, no. She uh, didn't. For... It's someone else that she tweeted it. She didn't say it. it. It's a quote that she got from Twitter. Yeah. Um, at Epic Carthouse, uh, who's Ricky Riley, who put, um, Tyrion was in Marine for 30 minutes, and suddenly Danny's plot becomes 100 times more interesting. Ouch. I don't think that's true. Uh... I don't think that's true. 
I think I think her stuff, especially this season, and and in her struggle to rule and just things not going her way, that's interesting. That's fun to watch. It is, but I'll be honest, like it's electric with. Yeah, but that's because it's it's electric in the sense of like you have these two like you know two of the main characters like meeting for the first time. It's always exciting. It's always exciting when characters like. Well, but he's you not know, that, saying that, it that's wasn't... That's also that, like, initial, like, novelty of it, too, you know? Well, it's I like know, but he's he's not saying that it wasn't interesting to begin with. What he's saying is it's more interesting, and you gotta admit oh, that. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, no, definitely, but I just don't like this idea of, like, Danny scenes were quote-unquote boring. I'm not the biggest Danny fan, Girl, but, like, they're not... Marine is boring. <laughs> oh, God. It could... Yeah, but Danny's not boring, like, Marine is a boring place. You insert Danny into Westeros, things get more interesting. And, and Tyrion represents Westeros, so that's why the scenes are more interesting. Because there's the Westerosi influence to them. And there's, like, connections. Rather than all these, like, weird-ass names that I don't remember from the books. And it's very otherworldly and not in a good way, you know? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, Marine just feels, I think like, we're agreeing. separate. <laughs> separate from like the main storyline and now it feels like oh she's part yeah. of that she's well no, it's just the it's game. the two of them it's their characters finally sparking and you're like this is something yeah yeah well yeah and her her scenes are more interesting now because now it was it used to be like the, everything in game of thrones and then there's like danny's like side plot and now oh no no she's part of it like she's she feels like now she's part of everybody else's storyline yeah. Well, this kind of gets to yeah. This kind of gets to what I was talking about earlier with how the show is basically reaching certain things quicker than George was because they understand that there's only so long you can string your audience along. And you know, we love George and we do love the books, but I think most people can sort of agree that the Dance of Dragons, Danny chapters, it's because it's so separate and so removed from Westeros. You're just you're just like, oh my god, when can we kind of finally get connected back to the It's boring. Plot? But especially like, when he says, like, Westeros is the story and the important part, then it, you kind of like, well, why are we spending thousands of pages here on Essos when you were telling yeah. me in interviews that Westeros is the is the main, like, location of, of the books? You know, even he himself is kind of like shooting himself in the foot like maybe he should put his foot in his mouth once in a while well yeah and and instead the show is deciding to just make this happen much faster and i think that's a smart move on the show because if they had followed what happens in a dance with dragons and there was the near miss of like Tyrion and danny talking the audience would be angry and rightfully so it would just be ridiculous at some point well we were angry reading it oh yeah yeah but we'll still be patient and we'll still continue to read the books show people aren't necessarily so loyal that's because we like punishment, yeah. basically. <laughs> Speaking of punishment, um, that is a great Cersei play, is in jail. Yeah, Cersei's in jail. And we, I talked about setup before. Her stuff was also very much setup stuff, but I thought it was really great. Well done. Great acting from Lena. Nice check-in to see what's going on with her in jail. Creepy Kyburn doing his updates, which I'm not sure we can trust anything he said. No. But, you know, we'll run with it. And, yeah, so I just thought they did a great job with that stuff, too. Yeah, no, she, hers was the closest to the book, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love it. I feel like this is a Cersei that I know. I recognize her from both aspects. And, like, this is just a really beautifully done scene. And um, someone brought up the water. Yeah. And that was beautiful. I mean, this nun is an asshole. <laughs> like, 
I don't know if I want to high five her or like slap her, but she's amazing. And just that idea of Cersei being desperate for this water and still not getting, giving her the satisfaction. But then when she needs it, she does exactly what she has to do. Yeah. You slowly see her, her breaking, you know, she has so much pride and she's so stubborn and she believes like Danny does in this like privilege, like aristocracy, like I'm above everybody. I'm not going to bow down to this commoner. And you know, she's going to cave eventually. I mean, that's where it's going. I feel bad for her. Well, and I think you, you should, I, mean, I don't like it, seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. They're not fun scenes to watch. But um, so we'll move on to our nerd rage, which I think will be really brief because there's really not a lot. And I know the thing that I caught was so incredibly minor. And it's not really nerd rage, but I was more like watching the hard home stuff. I was like, use fire. Do you people not remember that fire can kill white? One one was using fire. But not intentionally. Like, he was just, like, using a big log that happened to ha- be sort I of on fire. I think it happened so f- I, you know, because it happened so fast, you know. Oh, yeah. I know. Like, it life. wasn't, yeah. It was more like, you know, when you're, like, watching something happen on TV anytime and you, like, know a better way that people could do something, you're yelling at them. But knowing that if you were in that situation, you wouldn't necessarily think of it either. Like, Well, how do we know that the fire would have caught? The White Walkers, apparently, their body temperature is so low that they fuck with fire. Well, yeah, so that was a new thing we kind of learned in this episode. Apparently, White Walkers can negate fire, which was interesting. <laughs> also, there's a lot of wood around, so if you did fire, it may have just killed everyone. Like, who knows? But I I was yelling that at my TV. <laughs> um, can we read Rachel's quote? <laughs> Her related to this. She says, this is related it. to um, the Night King. Darth Maul looks fucking stupid. I hate his skinny arms and his stupid outfit. He looks like Negaverse Stannis, dude bro king of the Coors Light. I mean, he definitely looks better with armor on. <laughs> well, they all do. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's, 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 we all have our interpretations in our head of how characters are supposed to look and variations on, like, how scary they are. I thought he looked fine. I was really focused on the action happening. <laughs> So I didn't really, like, pick up on other stuff. I'm sure in, like, subsequent watchings, I'll start watching things and be like, oh, well, that could have been better. But, like, honestly, it wasn't – he did look a little bit out of place. I think he looks a little bit more, like – he's a little anachronistic. He looks modern as opposed to everybody else kind of fitting into that world. But I honestly thought he was pretty good. Really? Yeah, he's a little. I don't know. I don't know if it's a spiky hair. He reminds me a little bit of Doug. I thought it's a crown that like represents. I know it's supposed to be a crown, but he looks like Doug. <laughs> like oh, all he needs I, is his sweater vest. Is that the White Walker? Is that all. the Night King's real name, Doug? Thirteenth Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. <laughs> Maybe that's why he doesn't like John. It's like you took my job, bitch. Oh, <laughs> so another thing that Jenny mentioned was that she had nerd rage that the Martells weren't mentioned during the wheel scene. That was and me her too. joke was then again maybe they've been keeping up with the Dorn storyline and knew they wouldn't be an issue. Yeah, but. I don't think they were intended to be mentioned. I think she was only mentioning the houses that Tyrion had already... That they were just talking about. Yeah. And those were the ones that are involved with the fight for the Iron Throne. So, it, like, not all the great houses were mentioned. So, it was really just about the players they just talked about, basically. With the exception of the Starks. They were the only, I think, added house to that conversation when she did the wheel quote. But that's just because the Targaryens hate the Starks. Nobody gives a shit about Balon Greyjoy and his claim. 
<laughs> yeah, no one. I know, no one's talking about that. It's like no mention of him. Like he's so inconsequential. He's alive. <laughs> exactly. We let you live because you're not. You're not a threat. Period. Why isn't anybody trying to kill me? Yeah. <laughs> um, I also said it. They maybe I don't know. They may be setting it up. I don't know the the whole. Um, I did think it was weird. I I mentioned the show notes. I considered that they're her nephew and niece were Martels. It would have been nice just to mention them, like that, like family connection. Unless they're setting it up that they're going to be in House Targaryen side next week, and like they're holding off on it. Yeah. And yeah, maybe that's I mean- why. That could be, I think that that could make a lot of sense because they wouldn't want to reveal that too soon. But I also just think it would be weird for her to mention them because she's had no contact with that house or new, like there's no connection that we know of so far really between them in the show. Like, I don't know. For me, it was fine that she mentioned just the ones she mentioned because those were the ones that they were just talking about and the ones that she has previously mentioned on the show too. So I don't know. It made sense for me, but. But I can understand why some people might be missing the Martell mention. Um, so there were some general questions or thoughts after this episode. And my main one was, so when they were casting for the season, they had a casting notice for Vermeer, And apparently he was cast. I don't think he was in any of the hard home scenes. So I, I guess we'll see if he shows up in episode 9 or 10. Well, it makes sense since Ghost wasn't with John. Yeah. So he he probably show up like when John returns to the wall, like maybe like um he has like his what is it uh Borak or there's another there's the other um warg yeah like, Borak and like, he has his like boar he has a boar right yeah That's the animal so maybe like he'll have like maybe a scene like that where a ghost like just like gets really angry and he starts growling and John's like calm down but he doesn't realize it's, <laughs> it's Ollie like and that's why Ghost is like getting upset yeah. Because so, it would make I, sense, like, for that, like, all these, like, he, he's probably, like, with all the other wildlings. Yeah. Well, yeah, I assume he's just with the free folk now, but it, it will, I guess we'll see. Uh, and I don't know, I thought Lauren's comment in the notes was funny. So, if Tommen isn't eating or leaving his room, she hopes that Sir Pounce is there to comfort him. Aww. <laughs> Aww, Tommen. Um, and just as we get to our final, like our, you know, near final section is where we just talk about some adaptation stuff, if they left stuff out or what might happen in future episodes or even future book plot lines that we haven't even seen yet. And one thing that I was just wondering about, and I'm not mad about it, and this is why I didn't mention it in Nerd Rage, but so we know in Hard Home there are dead things in the water. And the show didn't do it. I kept, I was like, wait, like when they were on the boats, I was like, oh my God, something's going to like come out of the water and like destroy some of the boats. Didn't happen. Probably budget issue. But I wonder if they will bring this up later. Is she? It's super weird because the hard home scenes, as they're described in like Carter Pike's letters, there's like storms raging and like the seas are like there's dead things in the water and there's like nothing. It's like there's a stillness. Yeah. And then like isn't Davos going to Skagos and it's like kind of dead things there too, where it's like crazy up there? Or unless I'm Well, yeah, it's the things. same land. It's the same land of water. So people the are assuming. Sea. Yeah, that Davos would also see the dead things. So, yeah, they definitely can bring it back later. And I hope they do, just because the imagery is really creepy. Yeah, I think there was enough there. You don't want to, like, overdo it. Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. I agree. Um, and then Jenny noted they also just left out the backstory to Hardhome, just that it's a cursed place. Which, but, yeah, I noticed that, too. Yeah. So Well, it wasn't I mean, cursed yeah. before. It's cursed now. <laughs> Yeah, basically. Maybe this will now be the story that's used. It's like the cursed place. 
And then other things that we made notes about. So as we mentioned, um, we did get confirmation that Valyrian steel kills white, white walkers. So this made me think. So on the show, they there are some blades that they've mentioned. And noticed, and notedly, the show has mentioned Dark Sister, which, as we learned at a trivia, has not actually been mentioned in the books themselves. It's only been mentioned in the Duncan Egg stories. Um, so... Maybe Dark Sister will come up, and that's why they did bring up Dark Sister earlier in a previous in a previous season. It was in an Arya scene, um, and as we know, Bran has one. Um, there's still Joffrey's. There's still the sword, dagger, the dagger, and it appears that they might be casting. Um, oh my God, his first name's escaping me, but Sam's dad, Randall Tarley. Yes, so he might have his, but it, yeah, I. You know, the show characters are going to have to get their Valyrian steel ready. Yeah. And they did mention um, the obsidian daggers on uh, Dragonstone this season. Yes, they did. So we can, like, they have a ton of it. Like, Stannis, like, I have a ton of it. I'm like, that doesn't help them now, Stannis. <laughs> it's really far away. Well, yeah, and if they had, like, a scene where he was like, oh, I'll send a note and tell them to start getting it ready and send it up here, that wouldn't, that would be great. Maybe that is just an unsaid thing and that will just happen. I don't know. But I guess we'll see about that. <clears throat> um, and so, you know, we kind of talked about the stabbing already. And I know previously on other podcasts we had talked about the possibility that Ed could be in the group that's stabbing John. I don't think so now after this episode. Wait, yeah. So my thoughts basically now, he's not going to do it now. Because I don't think anyone that was with John in that group, like from the Night's Watch are now going to be in the stabbing group because I just imagine that after seeing what they saw, they totally understand John's position on, you know, we need to get as many people as possible, like beyond, like, you know, behind the wall and then try to fight these guys. So I think it's going to be Ollie on his own because the way they're describing the way he's like, he's like, he's probably to him. It might just be a suicide mission. You know, he's just like, you know, sometimes you just got to do things and it's not like, it's not like you may think it's, people may think it's bad at the time, but in the long run, it's like a good thing or whatever Sam said to him. So I think he just might even like wing it on his own without any, anybody, you know, he thinks he's doing right by everybody. And if he dies, I don't think he cares. I don't know. I still, I still think that Ollie, it has somebody encouraging him. I just think it's. It would be cheap that way because at least on the books, there are the seeds are planted that like Bo and Marsh and all these people are like conspiring. You know, I just feel like I don't know. It just it came. It would feel like it came out of nowhere and not in a good way. Like the like where do these all these people come from? And like, I mean, when was he planning is, with them? We you know, have seen the, where they come from. We know because John has talked about it with Mister Amon. We've seen it in meetings. We've seen it that people do not like what he's doing. So it wouldn't be hard to find people who would be willing to betray him like that, but they need Ollie for it. And the thing is, like, I don't think it's Ed. I actually agree with Megan that once you've seen what you're fighting against, you may not agree with the commander, but you're going to do what you need to do. There's actually um the show Black Sails. There's a scene where a character like doesn't trust his leader is pretty sure he had tried to have him killed 
And he doesn't like him, but he's saying, but I have seen what he is fighting against and I know that it's real and I will do whatever I can to make sure that we follow his plan because it's the only thing I can think of. And I think that's what's going on with Ed. I don't think he's going to be a stabber, but again, I wish that Ollie had been with them at hard home because like once he saw this, he would have known that John was not kidding and he's just getting a lot of telling and not showing to use that device in Winterfell, in uh, Winterfell, <laughs> Jesus, in Castle Black, um, and it's not enough. Yeah, I mean, I think just from and this is like me, I you know I like things to be logical. I feel like it can't be Ollie alone, just because that wouldn't kill John. I mean, let's be honest. Um, yeah, John is like. He's yeah, and, no, and stabbing somebody it's is hard. hard. Yeah, it, it takes, it's, you know, you, need, you have to push really hard. Like, it, you know, it takes strength. And I, yeah, that and that's the only reason why I feel, or one of the reasons why I feel that it can't be Ollie alone, just because if you want to get to the point where John is dead, it's going to take more than just Ollie. He's going to be the brute. Well, yeah. One, he's not dead. Yeah. <laughs> Two, like, we're going to get arrested when this airs because they're like, how do you know it's hard to stab somebody? Oh <laughs> well, I'm, you know, just judging from <laughs> Bowen Marsh's skill at the end of the Dragon. <laughs> I read a lot, you guys. I read weird yeah. books. I read A Song of Ice and Fire. There's a lot of deaths, okay? Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, God, that conversation's so upsetting. Going on to another upsetting conversation. So we know Ramsey's going out to attack Stannis' army, which we talked about. I'm just scared for little Shireen and scared for Stannis. Yeah, I'm pissed at them for bringing Shireen. I'm scared for everybody. Because Stephen Delane has, like, a, he's doing another TV show next year. So. Yeah. But, okay, so the whole, yeah. The hopeful part of me is that they're going to leave it kind of vague how that gets resolved. Um, and that they're going to do that so that they could still do a pink letter sort of scenario at the end with John. So it could still leave like, oh. I feel it would be, I feel it would be shoehorned in if they did some sort of pink letter variation because there was so much build up with like the Arya stuff and then the, the girl on the gray horse. And I just feel like it would just feel yeah. weird. I've seen some people theorize that Sansa will write to him. Yeah, if that happens, then I'll be fine with it. But, like, just him out of the blue, like, randomly. Yeah, like, she says, help me, save me, whatever. But kind of, like, at least, like, like, what does it help me, Obi-Wan? Like, yeah. At least this moment, you're my only hope, Jon Snow. <laughs> yeah. Like, if they do something like that. And they should even say, like, Bran and Rickon are not dead. Like, they're alive. Like, in a letter to him. Get one well, of those ravens. Well, John knows Bran's not dead. He didn't right? see him. He didn't see him, but... Doesn't he know that there's a chance? He he doesn't know for sure. Yeah, yeah. But you know, this is like confirmation. Well, Sam Sam told him that he saw him, so he knows oh, yeah, that Bran right, was alive. Right. Yeah. So many seasons. I oh can't. my god. <laughs> no, so like, it's like my book knowledge and like my <laughs> show knowledge are like it's all getting muddled in my head. <laughs> it's too many different storylines. Yeah, especially. It used to be so much easier in the first season. (laughs) So, with that being said, though, are there upcoming stuff that we're looking forward to, either in nine or ten? Mostly with nine. I mean, I'm really excited for the Dragon Pit 
see. Oh, hell yeah. Is, I guess, is it called, what, I'm calling it the dragon pit just because we know she's going to, you know, ride a dragon. What's the fighting, fighting pit? pit. <laughs> yeah. But I'm excited for that. And yeah, um, I like how nobody's mentioning Dorne. <laughs> yeah, so we do have a list in our document. And um, one thing that I, I also had a feeling about, too, but Rachel also wrote this down, too. If Tyrion is going to basically take over the Barristan Selmy role that was in a dance with dragons, especially if Danny does end up leaving on, you know, Drogon. And I, I thought about this as being a possibility, too, once it became clear that they were going to have them cross paths. So I guess we'll know more next week if Danny actually just flies away. Why would people just randomly follow Tyrion? He just got to Marine. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. He, and he's like a foreigner, and like he hasn't done anything like to earn their trust. And he came as a slave. Because he was a former slave for like one day? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, what I'm saying is, is like the, the main, like the rich people are not going to follow him. Oh, the slaves are... Well, well, and then the slaves are like, who the hell are you? We're not going to follow you. I'm agreeing with you. I think that no one's going to listen Barristan, to him. Barristan, like, was around. Like, he was, like, talking to people. He was, he, he was like, running the city. <laughs> and he died with them. Yeah. Tyrion is just, like, some random, like, white guy from North America bringing over. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll see. Because I'll still be a little shocked if she actually stays away all that long i don't know because i i don't know I've, i'm not really sure what they're gonna do with that they're not gonna it's whatever they do it's unless they have like a a, a voiceover it, you can't capture that book scene it's like this whole identity issue it's such like an in, psychological internal yeah it's such a beautiful it's one of my favorite chapters in the whole series and it's just like they're not going to be able to do it justice just because of the nature of the tv show yeah you're not in I her mean, head yeah the closest they could have done it was just to have Harry Lloyd come back and just have her have a conversation. Or have her talking, just having her talk to herself. Yeah, or have a conversation with Viserys, but I don't know. I'm also just not sure how long they, like, I feel like they can't just leave the Marine stuff hanging. I, like, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Also, because we don't really know what Danny's doing in the books after, like, the end of A Dance with Dragons, so that's unclear. Um, I really hope that there's a scene of John with Carsey's kids, just because I want to know that they're okay. Yeah. So, please show. Can we please get that? I hope they have this scene in the book where, like, the wildlings are really nervous and just want to quickly, like, get through the tunnel. Yeah. I really like that scene where they're they're so nervous and they just, they just want, they just want to get in the other side and get away from the others. Like, that desperation and, like, that gratefulness, too. Yeah. I'm assuming they aren't going to have John basically get the toll from them. No, no. And I do oh, the torment. I think they're not even going to do that. Yeah. And I do hope they have the scenes of, like, the kids playing in the snow and just, like, all eat that scene in the books. Yeah. And John's reminded of his little siblings, just having the wildlings, just, like, happy. And, like, all the nights, such people in the background, Ollie, with that, like, bitch face. Just... <laughs> Speaking of Ollie, Jenny did make a note saying, please don't introduce Carsey's kids to Ollie, because he would probably just slit their throats. <laughs> Oh, Ollie. Little child murderer. So, um, one thing we're not looking forward to, but we're worried, I guess, if Melisandre's going to try to burn Shireen, maybe we'll know more next week or the week after. But there's a little concern about what's going to happen with that. 
There's and so then, much to do in two episodes. I know. <laughs> well, yes, that is very true. And, of course, Cersei's walk is coming up. Not that we're necessarily looking forward to it, but we know that's coming. No, but I think that Lena's going to kick uh, – no, she's going to hit yeah. it out of the park. I mean, it's just going to be a really great emotional scene to watch. Um, but I don't know. I'm a little worried about how it's going to play to other people. Yeah, exactly. Because the way it played in the books to like the dude bros. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also in general, I'm, I'm curious to see really how the Sansa Theon Winterfell storyline ties up. Just because I really don't know what they're going to do with Brienne too and Pod. Oh yeah. I forgot they were around. Yeah. So I'm just curious to see how what happens with that. <laughs> but yeah, we have a lot coming in the next two weeks. Yeah, because you know, Katie, it's great to be back at the wall. <laughs> yes, we're going back every to the episode, wall. huh? Everyone, I waited the whole recording to do that. <laughs> you know, I love you. Whatever. <laughs> it's hilarious. So, with that, should we end our with, end with our toast to Lord Commander Jon Snow? To the Lord Commander Jon Snow. Yes. To the gallant as fuck Lord Commander Jon Snow. To Lord Commander Jon Snow. You'll be dead in two weeks, but... <laughs> no, he won't. Shut up. He's not dead. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. And so he broke that sacred oath, that Lord of the Crossing, and now the bycrests cover his kin. And they're so good to eat. Yes, now the pie crusts cover his kin. Revenge, it tastes so sweet. Guys, I think we need to talk about the fact that we might need to kick Kit out of the Jon Snow brigade. Scandalous. Yeah. <laughs> it's because he chose to save Backstreet Boys over in sync. And Oh no. Yeah, anyone that's followed us for a while knows that Katie and I were huge in sync fans. And we were both on the same instinct message <laughs> Like 15 <board>. years ago. <laughs> Maybe he just didn't like Justin. Maybe he's like a Megan and just hates what him. What the fuck? And uh, that's well, where hold his on. Hold on. From. Wait. <laughs> he and Richard Madden went to a Justin Timberlake show. He did go to a Justin with, with Richard Madden. So what the fuck is he talking about? Yeah, there or like if not a concert, like a club show or something. There was something. I can't. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Kit, yes. Really? 